Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as host Andy Hagens interviews asset managers, family offices, and industry thought leaders as they discuss the most effective strategies to grow generational wealth. From commodities to real estate, venture capital, private equity, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I am your host, Andy Hagens, and today we're talking about a very exciting topic, a very exciting product segment and asset class. We're talking about senior secured real estate debt. And joining me, I have Carson Rasmussen, who is principal of Fairview Partners Investment Management. Carson, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, excited to be here with you. And let's start from the top. I want to dive into this asset class. We're going to do that in a minute. But first, could you tell us a little bit about Fairview Partners Investment Management? How long have you been around and, and what is it that you do? Yeah, so Fairview Partners Investment Management uh, was founded in 2011 in Seattle, Washington. And what we do is we are senior secure real estate investors and specifically where we invest or, or sorry, what we invest in is, is kind of distress and troubled, troubled assets, special situations. And so our capital serves kind of a very specific function within the senior secure real estate market, debt market. Okay. Yeah. And, and thinking of that right away, I'm thinking, all right, special situations, debt. I mean, that's, that's kind of the wheelhouse for like a, a private placement offering or just, you know, uh, um, an issuer, a manager where you need some flexibility and you need high net worth investors who kind of understand the, the illiquid nature of that segment. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, most people, when they think about debt investments, they think about an origination at, at point A. And they think about periodic payments to get to point B when, when the payoff occurs. When you're thinking about uh, you know, distressed debt or troubled situations, uh, you, are, you are making an investment at kind of time zero or point A, and you're trying to get to point B. But our job or the job of the, the investor is to fix that problem and you know, drive the the asset toward to a resolution and and that as as you as you stated it does take time and that's why it it fits really well into a private placement offering because you you can then give yourself the flexibility to drive to that solution but 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 it's inevitably going to take some time and in that time and then that work that's that's really truly the value that we're creating as, as managers got it okay well let's zoom out then um, even outside of special situations, you know, what's the appeal of senior secured real estate debt? Um, what's the, what's the appeal of this type of debt, you know, as an investment, as a portfolio component compared to other forms of debt? Sure. I mean, debt in general is a, you know, it's a, it's a quality asset or, you know, it's, it's a segment of someone's portfolio that they, that they should have, right? When mm -hmm. you're thinking about your asset allocation, you need to have a component that, that's debt. And then from, from our standpoint, real estate debt is is you know, it's a place where you, you know you're first and foremost you're looking for security or return of principal, 
Right. And like, as I was talking about earlier, is like a normal debt product is going to have that, those periodic payments where you're going to, you have your principal invested and then the debt payments are coming in. And that, that cash flow is something that is needed from, from or wanted from the investors. Where we sit is we want to provide a little bit of both your periodic payments as well as capital appreciation. And that's where, you know, segment-wise, where Fairview sort of fits in is we're, we're trying to achieve slightly higher returns from a debt investment. So mm-hmm. you're still senior secured. You're still the first to get repaid when, when there's a transaction that occurs. However, you're getting that slightly higher return expectation because you're, you're going to try and solve this problem. And so that, I mean, intrinsically, that's going to require active management, right? Like that's not the type of thing where I can buy an ETF and get a broad-based index of special situation, senior secured real estate debt. Yeah, no, absolutely not. It's, it is, it is truly active management and it's uh, you know, it starts from the selection process. You have this large universe of distressed debt and, you know, our first job is to sift through all of those deals and all of those investments and kind of figure out which ones we can actually transact in. Because one of the problems in our space is, is that the bid-ask spread can be very wide, right? Like where we're underwriting this problem loan and, you know, we may want to buy that loan for 40 cents mm-hmm. and the, the financial institution may want to sell it for 80 cents. And right, like that, you can't close that gap in order to make the transaction occur. And so you've got to sift through that universe of investment opportunities to find the ones that we can actually transact on. Then once you actually bring it into the portfolio, then it's just, as you said, it's true active management from there to actually solve that problem. So it's like you're looking for sellers who are are realistic. (laughs) It sounds like that's job (laughs) one is that some of them have maybe unrealistic expectations about the level of risk with the debt that they're holding? Yeah, I mean, it can be any number of things. You know, sometimes you have banks that, there are a lot of times you'll have the big money center banks, the Bank of America's US banks, cities, they'll do periodic quarterly loan sales. Well, they'll just look Mm -hmm. at their own loan book and they're just going to say, hey, look, this is a house cleaning event. This is part of our process. Every quarter, we're going to sell these loans and and get rid of them. We're going to sell them in secondary market. and then other times there could be, you know, there could be capital issues at a bank that says, hey, look, like you're undercapitalized from a tier one or tier two capital standpoint. We need you to go sell some loans. And so they'll go into the market. Other times, uh, you know, we'll we'll buy and sell from other fund managers because, you know, these are closed end funds most of the time that are that are people like us. And, and so sometimes when you get to the end of the life of a fund, like fund managers will sell those kind of remaining two to 10 assets and like, okay. they, they, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their cost of capital and like, it's easier for them to sell those loans than it would be to carry on the fund for another year. So thinking of like uh, efficient frontier theory, is that what it's called? Uh, it, this sounds like it might be kind of an inefficient market in the sense that these distressed or special situations, they're all going to probably have different headaches associated with them, which are also, I guess, opportunities associated with them from a value standpoint, but they're probably 
differing amounts, different maturities, different levels of motivation from the standpoint of the cell. So is that kind of the case for the alpha here? Just that like, this is a space that a lot of people can't even operate in and and that you guys are kind of coming in and filling in that gap. Yeah. I mean, I I think that it's, it's, it's efficient to a point. Um, And I think, you know, we're like our, our market's competitive, just like anyone else's. Um, And, you know, there are other competitors and I think where you've got to figure out where, where, you know, what, what your own expertise is within the market. But then I think when we think about the, return expectations or the, you know, the efficiency or getting paid for the risk that you're taking. Mm-hmm. You, we think about it and say like, you know, what's a, a typical kind of private capital deal should yield a 8% return. Then you kind of add on top of that, okay, distress, you know, you're going to, you're going to need maybe two to 300 basis points from that. So now you're kind of 10 to 11. Then you're kind of mid then you say, well, you're small to mid-balance loans. And so maybe there's another 100 to 200 basis points. And so now you're kind of in the call it 10, 12 to 13%. And then, you know, anything on top of that, we would kind of describe as alpha, which is, you know, you can get that from selection, from asset management, from, you know, driving your, your own kind of investment process. So there, there are there are inefficiencies within it, and you mm-hmm. sort of have, you have to find those where you can really thrive in the market. But also, you need to get paid for what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, bringing up the alpha and, and your competitive advantage. I'm going to bring this up on my computer here. I because I was reviewing your website and I saw this this quote in your literature. Um, I always like to ask, you know, what's a, a investment manager? What's the competitive advantage? What is it that you know that you do that you know is really better than anyone else, or that really brings value? And so, you know, from your literature quote, the competitive advantage was your ability to navigate the complex issues common to distressed credits and special situations. So, so now we're kind of zooming in to Fairview Partners Investment Management. So this isn't just senior secured real estate debt. These are distressed credits and special situations. So what kind of, um, you know, what's the complexity, I guess, beyond just, you know, the pricing? Because I, I think obviously you, you make a lot of money on when you buy, right? right. In yeah. real estate or in debt, I, I would assume. For sure. Uh, but what other kinds of complexity happens in this market um, that, that Fairview is uniquely, you know, good at navigating? You know, generally, I think it's just like you're trying to run, you're trying to be efficient um, and you're trying to run a process. And I think one of the things, you know, I mean, as an investment, I mean, we've been doing this for 11 years and I, and I, I often like to think back, like when we started, we were like, man, we are ready to go hit the market and, you know, run a $200 million fund, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now 12, year, 12, 12 years in, looking back, like we simply weren't prepared. Like if we had raised $200 million 10 years ago, like we would not have been prepared. And like you look at where we are today and with our people, with our outreach to our network of potential like deal flow sources, with our servicing team, like everything is sort of, you you need to have a cohesive unit that's, that, that understands what it's trying to achieve. And that's, you know, that's finding the right deals at the right price 
And then once you get them, that's that's onboarding them and, and being and putting them in, in a position to be successful. Mm-hmm. And like everyone on our team, you know, the, the, the majority of our team, we have 11 people here, and the majority of our team has been with us since 2014. And, and everyone since 2014 has gotten better and better every single year. And it's just a matter of communicating and like trying to get everybody on the same page so that we know like when you when you enter into a transaction, this is where you want to go. And this is how we're going to get it there, right? Like put it on that critical path to success and just start driving. So I think, you know, our competitive advantage would be just just that having a one having a team that, that really is all, you know, everyone's rowing in the same direction. Yeah, you know, it's it sounds like reps, right? Just just the experience that comes from doing it over and over and and getting more efficiency. Uh, I think the word is is kaizen when it's applied to like manufacturing in Japan. You know, just yeah. getting getting a little bit better every time you do it. And it, it it occurs to me to use a real estate analogy. You know, like if if you're not used to doing gut rehabs and you take over a property that needs a, a gut rehab, it's like it's just going to stress you out, right? Like as a, as an owner of that asset, it's going to like put a pit in your stomach. Like, I don't want to deal with a gut rehab. Maybe it's your first one, or you just didn't want to deal with that problem versus some people, they specialize in that. And it's like, I have a system, I have a checklist. I come in, this is like what I live for, what I live, you know, and I know what the timeline is. And so I can just approach this whole thing on a personal level with a whole lot less stress but also because I've done it a hundred times, um, just that experiential knowledge. Um, totally. And, and, and I mean, ours is the same as like, instead of you're doing a rehab on a 25 unit apartment building, mm-hmm. we're just, we're rehabbing the loan or in the case of a loan, like a high yield origination, like we're just, we're, we're help, like our capital is used to rehab the situation. And to like unlock it so that it can move forward. But it's the same thing. And then to that exact point, it's when we come across a major stumbling block, like we can rely on a bunch of investments that we've done in the past where we've screwed up and we've had to kind of change direction. And, and that just happens like when you're in the troubled loan space or when you're in the high yield space, like you have to be able to take everything that comes at you and, and be able to draw on your experiences. I mean, we've definitely, like we've, over the years, we've screwed up and we've gone the wrong directions and we've cost ourselves time and capital. And you just hope today and going forward, like you are able to kind of see that you have some foresight into where you might go. And so you can avoid making the same mistake that you may have made, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So that's that MBA from the school of hard knocks. Um, Generally, (laughs) generally the most valuable MBA in my experience, or it's up there. It's up there with Harvard and Yale, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, Um, I've got a great, I mean, we have a great, one of our employees, Max, he, he started with us and he, um, one of the very first investments that he worked on was, was a deal in Idaho. And, you know, when you're, when you're senior secured, you are, you are actually subordinate to real estate taxes, right? And so when you're doing your underwriting, you've got to go and check your taxes. And uh, we like to tease Max because one of the first deals that he underwrote, he he failed to check the taxes. No, no, of course, us on the investment committee, we didn't like ask him that question. 
And so we ended up doing the deal and we get in there and you kind of, and like it's when you're in the private markets, you know, it's not, you're not buying Apple, right? Like you can't sell out of something, right? right. So you get in there and you're like, oh, well, there's, you know, X thousand dollars of back taxes. And, you know, mm-hmm. those are senior to you. And so we like to tease Max that now every time he does an underwriting, he's, he's certainly it's checking those back tags. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's the proven way to learn. That's for sure. So for sure. talking about reps of of doing these deals, what's what's like the timeline of a typical deal? I mean, are you looking to sort of, you know, you talk about that path getting from point A to point B. Are you looking to sort of reposition the debt and then flip it as fast as you can? Or is it more that, you know, you re reposition position it and then just own it until maturity. Yeah. I mean, the most we like to talk about whether you're buying a high yield or buying a, a, a non-performing or sub-performing loan or you're originating a high yield loan, the most, the, mo- the most critical time period for that investment is the first four months, right? You got to get like, you have to bring everything into a position to succeed. And so those first four months you are having contentious calls with, with, with people. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to act as a consultant to like, we kind of know where we want to go, but the, the other part is like, whoever that equity is, whoever is above you and, and really, you know, is owns the real estate subject to the, to the senior secured loan. Sure. You have to get them on board as well. And so mm-hmm. that process of getting everybody on board is about a four month process and it's it's the most critical and you can really like we've now kind of we we now have a really good idea within the first call it month of of owning either you know a purchase loan or a loan originated by us whether it's going to be successful or not or where you know what we're going to have to do in order to get it to a resolution okay so when we're talking about the equity then on the stack, um, my mom told me that honey wins more friends than vinegar. So how do you get, <laughs> what's a typical tactic to get equity on board with the plan? Is it honey? Is it vinegar? Or does it depend on, depend on their attitude? You gotta be, yeah. I mean, well, hundred percent the latter, like it depends on their yeah. attitude, but I mean, I think pretty much always people are in like, people are in a bad situation or in a situation that they, um, or don't want to be in. I mean, a lot of times people just want to avoid dealing with it. Right. I mean, that that's, that's a lot of times what we face is like, people are just like, I don't want to deal with it. And so, I mean, the first thing is like, Hey, like we need to have a conversation. And then the second thing is it's like, you got to be firm and you do have to be very brutally honest with people. You know, if they've got a, if they have a, an office building that's over levered, but they may have, you know, six six cars that they have in their at home because they're car collectors well you you have to have that conversation like go sell your cars mm-hmm. and use those proceeds to pay down the line you know pay down your your debt and like you've got to re-margin the situation and so you've got to get people over those humps and and what you do is you just you you, you give them um achievable goals that they can go out and do and and frankly and it, it's it's odd i mean people think uh, those must be tough and they are tough conversations, but once you get the equity on board with, Hey, we're all in this together to, to solve this problem, mm-hmm. you get people that are super motivated. And, and, and we've had people, we've had borrowers come to our office and say, thank you. We've had people write us letters and say, this is, you know, you guys helped us get out of the situation. So like, you can put, put 
loans or you can put things in position to succeed, not just for us, but also for the equity. Now, if someone's just going to be a knucklehead and not want to deal with you, well, that's that happens as well. And like, you've got to deal with that as well. And that's when you just use your, you know, you use your loan documents, you use your legal enforcement rights to mm -hmm. go and deal with the situation. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's zoom out for a minute and talk about the 60-40 portfolio. Um, so our team was at the IPA conference recently. <clears throat> so much talk about the 60-40 portfolio. And, you know, I think at least in the alternatives industry, there's a belief, you know, that 60-40 portfolio is, is, is dead or at least maybe um, maybe it's uh, on its way out, at least in the world of family offices, you know, in the world of very high net worth, ultra high net worth investors. But it's it's still a useful reference point. So that being said, are you are you personally a believer in the 60-40 portfolio, you know, when we're talking about family offices or ultra high net worth investors? Not in the traditional sense, no. I mean, I think that there has been, I think there's there's far better ways to run like a portfolio from an individual standpoint. Now, I think you can have, taking just a really quick step back, I think you can have something that looks like a 60-40 portfolio, mm -hmm. but I think like, take for example, just, Right. I think we're a we're a private debt offering. And I think, you know, if you were to think of the debt component of the 64 portfolio and you start to kind of replace it with things, you could say, hey, this is their view. We're going to use them as a proxy for debt and we're going to slug it, we're going to slice it into, into the traditional model. But but you know, one of the reasons that I don't believe in the 60-40 model is I just think we've, I don't think we need as much liquidity as people have traditionally thought, yeah. right? I mean, if, I think that's kind of the my main focus is I think if you're willing to accept less liquidity, then going to the private markets is a great place to get outsized returns. And, um, you know, unless you're spending frivolously and you, you need a bunch of liquidity, it's it's the best way to compound wealth over a long period of time is to have privates. Because I do think you're, you if you select the right manager, you're going to get outsized returns. So it sounds to me, if I could try and pair this back and and correct me if I if I mess up, the sixty forty, you know, concept. Sounds like you kind of maybe agree with it, but not necessarily that it's all liquid. You know, like so if you if you don't need the liquidity, then take some of that and earn an illiquidity premium. Hundred percent, and like you know, very simple, maybe simple thought process. Like you know, in, from an equity standpoint, maybe if you found a, uh, you know, if you find a long short equity manager like that can replace part of that equity portfolio it just sure. is going to be with a manager that has lockups has gates and you know we'll do some different things but ultimately like yeah like you're just sort of trying to slice the 60 40 port you know slice those big piece those big pies of the 60 40 the 60 the 40 and slice mm -hmm. those further and go get some privates in there so um Comparing then, like what would be the closest analog? I know there is no perfect analog, but 
like would I would I compare senior secured real estate debt to to junk bonds? Or like what would be the liquid, you know, kind of alternative? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really I think that's a great way to think about it would be high yield corporate debt. Um, of course it's different, but when you're thinking about it, that's a great way to think about it, right? There are there are folks that invest in in junk real estate bonds with mm -hmm. the purpose of restructuring or reordering or being in a position to sometimes take over companies. And so I think it's a very similar, that whole thought process is very similar. I mean, cause at the end of the day, that that's, if you're seeing your debt, you're in a control position. Got it. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I just had Laura Raim, uh, economist at FS investments on the show. And I think that's, it hasn't published yet, but it probably will by the time this episode publishes. And we were talking about junk bonds and they are yielding higher than the inflation rate. Um, but, you know, after taxes, if they're in a taxable account, they're not they're not keeping even with the inflation. And I'm like, I, you know, personally, I feel like it, <laughs> I hate to use the word immoral, but I'm just like this. That is, uh, to me, it's it's like unjust that you're asking an investor to take on so much risk right. to have their assets slowly shrink on a real basis. So, and and I know that you know in the, on the illiquid side, when we're talking about senior secured real estate debt, um, the returns would be quite a bit higher because of that illiquidity premium. But putting that aside. You know, do, do you think investors need to think about the debt portion of their portfolio differently right now in this higher inflationary environment? A hundred percent. And it's tough. I mean, I think the you just what we think about and, and getting a little bit back to our model, which is one we, we we feel fortunate to be where we are, is that we are in this idea of you know, buy it, fix it, sell it, or keep the term of the investment as short as possible, right? Like we're not originating five-year paper and then just sitting on it. Mm -hmm. And that's where you could see, like you, the more duration that you have, like that's going to be extremely sensitive to interest rates, right? And, and and you can get real, you can be put in a super tough position with inflation. And so for us, if you, because our investments are, short term in nature, call it six to 24 months, mm -hmm. you can drive to resolution and then reinvest that capital. And you can reinvest that capital in a time frame where you, you know, hopefully you can reinvest it at a higher rate, given where the, you know, hopefully your, your return expectations go higher or what your cost, your need, sure. cost of capital should kind of change with the inflation expectations. So, you know, I like the fact that we are short term in nature and in our investments and in that within our within our private funds, we're able to reinvest. However, you know, you, you've got to do that. I think one of the things that for us in this goes to the selection process is that you want to select in the deals that you can resolve. Right. Like a lot of times if you if you select into a situation that's overly complex and you've got super difficult borrowers that get highly litigious. Maybe you buy a loan that's in New York and all of a sudden you're in the, you're in the New York legal system because they filed bankruptcy. Well, that's a three or four year period. 
Okay. Wow. And, and so you could get, you know, your returns are going to get degraded super quickly. Like, yeah, you might protect principal, but you're going to lose out big time to inflation. And so you do want to be highly cognizant of the term of the loans that you're either writing or buying into. So, so you all work very hard to keep that duration low, which obviously that's just going to, I mean, if you, if you're finding good deals, then I, I, you'd want to turn over the capital as quickly as you can for its own sake. And it sounds like that sort of has that side effect then of there's less interest rate risk. There's less inflation risk with a fund, like what we're talking about. From a debt perspective, like from a, from a, from someone who invests in debt. Yeah. I think we're in a really good spot. Um, we are in a, you know, you know, we're in a position where inflation certainly impacts us. It's just going to impact us less than someone's got a ton of duration within their portfolio. Okay. So let's back to the portfolio for a minute. And I, I think you already answered this, but I just want to make sure. So we're talking about a 60, 40 and more and more when I talk with RIAs, family offices, you know, you're hearing like 50, 30, 20. A lot of times the alts allocation is even a lot more than 20. Um, but let's just say 50, 30, 20, you know, kind of as a, as a default model. So if I'm looking at investing in senior secured real estate debt, maybe let's say 5% of my overall portfolio, is that 5% slotting into the, the 30% debt portion or the 20% alternatives portion? Uh, they would, what I heard is they would, they would slot that into the, what we do, they would slot that into the alternative portion of the, of the, of the, of the portfolio or the asset allocation. And what we have had, we, we've got a few, we have a few RAs that have, um, you know, built relation that we've built relationships with. And we've just asked them, we've said, Hey, look, like, what do you think, you know, a is a kind of where do you see us from a percentage standpoint? And then where do you put us? And they're, you know, they say that we're in alter, we're an alternative bucket because we're illiquid. And then B, they say, you know, we're going to have our investors be somewhere in the two to 20% mm-hmm. of their net worth would be allocated towards something like that, depending on their risk profile and what they're trying to achieve. But typically we're seeing, you know, kind of two to 5% of someone's portfolio would be allocated to private credit or someone like us. Got it. And, and RIAs are tending to bucket it in with alternatives, even though it's credit just because of that illiquid nature. So That's right. um, I guess asking about your fund or, or really any similar type of fund, um, do they pay a dividend or is it more... Uh, Our funds do work. not. So it, it, it back to your question. You asked a great question really early on about why it kind of fits into privates and and the nature of the distress or the nature of the terms of our loans are such that you, know, you really can be without cash flow until you solve the problem. And so sure. we tend to make, or no, not 10. Like we, we try to make at least one distribution of income every year. And we'll typically do that in the fourth quarter or the first quarter. So before tax time, Mm -hmm. but it's not a, it's not a requirement and it's not like a guarantee. It's just what we do within our process and, you know, doing it once a year allows people to match their, their kind of asset with their tax liability. I see. Um, but it's so it's like a, it's like a tax distribution essentially then. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I, I actually wanted to ask about taxes now. So, I mean, I find the, the debt world so interesting because, you know, you know, the, the returns that we're talking about, you know, totally different piece of the cap table. I spent so much time talking, thinking about the equity side, but the debt side is just as important. And with debt, the thing that can kill you is, is taxes, right? Um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of high net worth investors, family offices are in municipal bonds. <laughs> the, the nominal yield is like in the twos or, right. you know, low. it's just, it's, it's quite silly, but you know, the strategy that you're talking about with these special situations, with these distressed situations, um, with, with that goal of resolving this situation basically as quickly as possible, it's a good thing, right? To deploy the capital, resolve the situation liquidate and then be able to redeploy it, you know, plus earn some alpha in the meantime. But all of that turnover is creating taxable events. And and then it's also, I presume that it's ordinary income. Is that the case? Yeah, no, you hit it spot on the head, Andy. And I, I think the, uh, you know, from our strategy, you're looking at it's transactional based, right? I mean, just based on everything I've said today and like who we are, we are, we're trying, we think the safest way to, to invest is to, Get our money back, right? And and so it's what we're <laughs> constantly driving towards resolution. But in doing yeah. so, you're you're very transactional, and those transactions plus the you know if you get if you restructure a loan and you get them paying, the, those payments are going to be you know interest payments, and interest is ordinary income, and. Mm-hmm. If you're driving it to a resolution, like that resolution, when you get it at the end, it's a taxable event. And so you know, we are not buy and hold, we are transacting. And so we are look, we are generating taxes for our investors. And I mean, I think it, you know, I like to think of it as if you're generating taxable income, that's a good thing. It's better than losses. But I sure, think sure. When, when I talk to potential investors, you want to be very, you want to make them make sure that they understand what you're trying to achieve and what you do. And that is, that is who we are. You know, we're generating ordinary income and we're transaction based. Well, so the interesting thing to me, I mean, especially when you're talking with families or ultra high net worth, very high net worth, everything has to be triple net. It's like, and now with inflation in the eights, you know, um, it's like, I don't even think about nominal returns and anything. Like I'm always like my, I've just kind of trained uh, my mind to think in terms of, tr- of triple net. And so like back to the Mooney bonds thing, I'm like, wow, a 3% nominal <laughs> yield with 8% inflation. Wow. This is really great guys. I'm <laughs> so happy to save on the taxes off the 3% <laughs> uh, right. nominal yield. But, um, you know, so I would, I would be thinking in this case, um, with the tax inefficient type of fund, plus it's illiquid that investors are going to insist upon or are going to demand in a sense that much higher top line return number. Um, is right. that the case with, with this specific asset class? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two things. I think for the folks that are looking for an alternative or looking for a safe place to invest their capital, um, that's not tax exempt. You're, you, you know, those they're they're looking at after tax returns, right? And they're looking mm-hmm. at what we can achieve net of taxes, and they're saying, "Wow, for what I'm 
for the active management for what you do, I still think that that's an attractive place to be. On the you know on the other side, there we do have a fair number of tax exempt investors, so investors who are investing via you know, self directed IRAs or whatnot, mm-hmm. and those investors, you know, it's less of an issue. It's less of an issue for them because you know you're not looking at those that that triple net number as you say, but it's still something that 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 everybody needs to be aware of. I mean, because right. like you know you're looking at uh, I mean the way that we like to think about it is that the after tax number is is still attractive and when you look at that after-tax number compounded over 5 10 15 20 years the you know the the couple hundred basis points of return that we're giving you really does like that that when you run it out 20 years it's it it becomes a meaningful you know difference than investing in non-tax or you know tax exempt bonds of like like a muni or something like that Got it. So that that illiquidity premium, that risk premium, um, those are there. Or at least you know. I, I guess I would I would coach investors to to demand it. I mean, really looking at any credit product um, or or any alternative. Um, so, can we talk about the capital base for a second? So you mentioned some, um, like some some tax exempt accounts. Uh, sounded like those were maybe individual investors. Yep. Um, are, is this a market that institutional investors play in at all, or is this mostly, you know, private placement offerings for individual investors and family offices? Yeah, it's the latter. I mean, for, for someone like us, we've been around for 12 years, uh, we've got a great track record, but at the end of the day, we're talking to people that are sophisticated and high net worth individuals, family offices, and then some independent RAs that are looking at that traditional 60-40 model and they're trying to say you know, we can we can bring some privates under our umbrella sure. and help our investors get a little bit more for their portfolios. And so those those are kind of where we've we've spent most of our time focusing. I'm curious, you know, especially for RAAs, but but even for individual investors, how do they how do they get introduced to this? asset class are they just i mean are they just looking for an alternative to to junk bonds or is it do they have some other you know connection point where they kind of learn about it and and learn about the appeal uh, yeah it's it's a great question i mean we're still fair i mean private credit in general has just recently become more interesting and more kind of in the news, I guess you might say hey we're we're spreading the word right right <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, all TV, right. I, I hope we are <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it, it, it is, you know, we're, a, we, we're not out marketing. Uh, we don't market. We're not, we, we, we are regulatory wise. We don't market. And so we just, you know, we kind of do our thing. We've always taken the, the standpoint of if we go out and do what we say we're going to do, and we, um, are good fiduciaries of capital, that capital will eventually find us. And that, that is, that's kind of been, that's proven itself true, but over time, you know, you do need, uh, you know, word of mouth and just like folks that are, folks that are kind of curious, right? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, individuals or family offices that are looking for something else, they themselves have to be a little bit curious, right? They have to say, they have to challenge that 60-40 portfolio themselves. And then they have to say to themselves, like, yes, I want private credit. Where do I go find it? And for us, like, I do think that 
private credit or anything, you know, where we sit, real estate debt has a place in individual in, in portfolios. Mm-hmm. And and you know, that's kind of the first question that people ask, like, is that a is that something you want in the portfolio? And then the second question is, is like who do you want to be your manager? Mm-hmm. And you know, who can I trust? And so those are kind of those are the two things that that we always like to tell people is like, do you want it in your portfolio? And then who do you want to be your manager? Right. And and that's where whether we're talking about credit, equity, you know, multifamily industrial, that's where track record and investor experience, those are so important. I think you're exactly right. A lot of this, you know, private placement, alternative space, it, it is word of mouth. Um, and increasingly, you know, you see referrals, word of mouth, and then also investors have a good experience with one offering from a sponsor issuer. They're going to be interested in the next offering, right? Um, so one, one question back to RIAs, self-directed high net worth investors, you know, those of, those of, um, you know, that crowd who are listening to us right now, they, they probably get it right. Like if you're listening to the alternative investment podcast, you're interested in private placement offerings, you're interested in alternatives. Um, but, but even so, you know, I think a lot of people with with their alternatives, they're investing in you know multifamily funds or industrial funds or you know mostly real estate. Um, they might be more familiar with doing due diligence or evaluating those sorts of deals and products, and and less familiar with evaluating private debt products. Where would you start? You know, presuming that you know I'm an RIA or or family office, you know. I have some background in debt and equity and real estate, all this sort of thing, but I'm not an expert. How would I start to evaluate the the different offerings that are on the market? Just you know, high level tips. Yeah, you mean so so that so the managers themselves. Yeah, yeah the the sponsors, um, the managers, and, and the offerings, the actual offerings. Yeah, I mean, I think you when you're evaluating the the offerings, I think you've got to. You got to peel back the onion more than just the returns, right? You have to really like go in and request, like you know, ha- do you do, does the manager have write ups? Do the managers have deals that they, that they're willing to share with you, like that step through what they've done? Like what you know, like really challenge their their track record on like on an investment basis, but then also challenge them on a thought basis as well. You know, like what have they communicated with their investments on how they want to achieve what they want to achieve? Because the debt markets, especially the private debt markets, they, they, they move slow, right? Where in the sense that like, when you, when you make an investment, I, I said this earlier, like you're, you're in that investment. And so you've likely, full disclosure, you likely miss one or two things. And so you Mm want to know, how is that manager going to react? You know, are they going to be emotional? Are they going to be quick to, to, to make a a judgment or are they going to go back to their process and say like, this is, you know, are they thoughtful enough to go back to their process and say, Hey, look, we're in this situation. Here's how we're going to drive to, to, to a solution. And so I think that, you know, peeling back the onion and getting as much information from the manager as you can, not just financial based manage, uh, information, but also just the, the qualitative stuff. I think that's really important. Peeling back the onion of the private debt market, um, something I find fascinating, you know, may not be everyone's 
cup of tea, uh, but certainly as an investor, I think it's uh, an appealing opportunity to to take a look at, especially in this higher inflation environment that we're in right now. So that being said, Carson, where can our viewers and listeners go to learn more about Fairview Partners Investment Management? Yeah, no, I'd encourage everybody, if, if they're interested, to learn more about us, to go to our website. It's it's uh, www.fpinvest.com. Um, at that website, you can learn more about us. You can reach out to us. You can see our team. Um, and um, yeah, you can see all our emails. And, and from there, you can reach out to us. Um, I'm there. I'm Carson at fairfpinvest.com if you want to reach out to me directly. Yeah, and the website was just recently redesigned, uh, and I, I did review it before the show today, and it <laughs> yeah. it looks it looks good. Not every not every sponsor, especially in the debt markets, has um, a really informative website. So I, we're super proud of it. We went through we 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 did our website earlier this year, and it was a huge undertaking. But um, we're very proud of it. So we'd appreciate it if you go and, and take a look at it. Awesome. And for our listeners and viewers, um, if you want links to everything that we've mentioned in today's show. I'll be sure to link in our show notes to that website on altstv.com slash podcast. And a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to our show on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. So you can be sure to receive our new episodes as we release them. Carson, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me in. It was a pleasure. I had a blast. it for our show today a huge thank you to you our listener if you like this episode please rate and review us on apple podcasts the alternative investment podcast is produced by the alternative investment database online at altsdb.com you can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com slash podcast and we'll be back soon with another episode